You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Okay, we kicked the show off today with a little jingle by our distinguished guest, Corey Cerisi. He said it would be great podcast music when he sent it to me uh, quite some time ago, and I'm inclined to agree. Uh, Before we get into it, I want to make a note that this was recorded on Thursday, April 30th. There are currently 1.1 million confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the United States with 63,538 deaths. Uh, We've been sheltering in place for 46 days since we fought Australia. That is 12% of the year 2020. Things are looking good, though. Um, States are starting to open up in phases as far as going to work and school go. Uh, I think that with caution and responsibility, we can get back to seeing our loved ones and working on our goddamn lives and moving forward. The future isn't certain, but it is certain that the future is coming. Uh, Today's guest is Corey Cerisi. Corey is the owner of Enjoyco, a salon in Portland, Oregon. He's the drummer of uh, AF Records band Lee Corey Oswald, our dear old friends who started with us in uh, Scranton. Uh, now our main focus today, though, in this podcast is um, discussing his time spent at a now defunct small boarding school for special needs adolescents in rural upstate New York. Uh, it was called the Family Foundation School, also known as the Family School, also known as Allenwood Academy. Uh, so the school closed in 2014. They said it was due to money problems from declining enrollment. However, they were plagued with accusations of abuse for many years. Uh, and there's reason to believe that this was also why they had closed. Uh, the family school was one of several residential programs for special needs adolescents that were discussed at congressional hearings in 2007 and 2008. You know, they were uh, had surprise inspections, some by many New York agencies in 2010. Uh, in 2018, a front-page article in the New York Times described a pattern of deaths by overdose, suicide, and other misadventure among alumni of the school. One alum tallied 101 such deaths, the vast majority of them being before the age of 40. Uh, To let you know ahead of time, we dive into some sensitive subjects, including violence, sexual misconduct, and suicide in this episode. Um, I cannot begin to express the love and friendship I have with Corey. It was not easy for him, and we hope to shine some light on this tragedy, as well as make some room for those dealing with trauma. He invites you to reach out to him uh, over at futurefriday.net. I'll also be posting some references and resources uh, regarding some of the things that we discussed in the episode. And without further ado, my friend Corey. Yes, bro. All right, here we are. Here I am with Corey. What's up, Corey? Thank you for joining me today. 100%. We, uh, it is currently April 30th. We, I don't have, I was told myself I was going to read off some of the numbers uh, regarding coronavirus infections and deaths and how many days we've been in quarantine. I'll just add that at the beginning of the show. But, um, yeah, you and I talked about this kind of heavily right before it started happening. I figured we'd get all the coronavirus talk out of the way at the beginning. Corona what? Coronavirus. You heard uh, of it? Yeah. Oh, the thing that has had me out of work since March 11th? Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that, that's that guy right there. All right, so this part of the... 
podcast, Corey and I spent quite a long time discussing the CARES Act and some of the ways that it applies to both of our technically small businesses. Um, and we hadn't seen each other in a long time, so we spent quite a bit of time catching up. So I decided to uh, take this and add it to the end of the episode uh, so that we can get right into what we came here to kind of talk about. Fucking maniac. Um, how did we meet? How did you and I meet? We met at a party. Okay. It was your a college party for you and a post high school party for me in Scranton and West Side by the cemetery. Uh, where our mutual friend, uh, get those, uh, leave it a name us, I don't know, for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, had a party and we went there and someone made a joke about drugs or having drugs and then I made the same joke and then uh, your roommate came down and sat next to me and told me you had drugs and then you came over and I think I bought a Vicodin from you and then we hit it off. Vi- Vicodin, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is like the very beginning of the rumblings of the opioid crisis. <clears throat> you know, I forgot about that part because the way that I think about it, the first time we actually spent time together was you came to my apartment for Vicodin mm-hmm. and you had a burnt CD that was a rough mix of the very first Menzingers LP, a lesson in the abuse of information technology. Yeah, it was actually wasn't even that LP. It was, I believe, the uh, demo that we had done before that that turned into that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I never fucking listened to it. Is it good? <laughs> I mean, I, at the time, it was good. That's great. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't know. I thought maybe you guys were like a ska band or something. We but, were. Uh, uh, and to clarify, I'm not some kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a, a opioid addict or anything like that. I just, you had Vicodin and it was fun once in a while, so that's how. Yeah, we were, we were young. Yeah, uh, we were young. We were, we were young and every once in a while, you you know, you take a Vicodin. Yeah. Um, so, okay, uh, that's how I remember meeting you. And then we lived two blocks from each other. Um, I lived off of Sanderson. Remember my old landlord, Maria? She used to carry a um, Magnum revolver oh my God, in her purse. Yes. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Um, and she was like a professional bodybuilder in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was uh, very, very... She had a lot of energy. But uh, my rent was $200, um, all-inclusive. I'll never forget that. That's $200. so cheap. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, so when was that? That's, I guess, really what I was asking. What, yeah, what that was probably about 2006. That? 2006. Maybe the middle of 2005. Yeah. That makes sense, because I graduated college in 2008, and we were already balls deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I would put it. All right. Yeah, but back to the, where we were, we were dipping into the family school. That was, uh, you know, because you guys had started... Um, Lee Corey Oswald at that time, or not Lee Corey, there's another Dinosaurs you guys were playing at that time. That's how we met. We played shows together and that. And then, but the, the recently when we got to talk about the family school was a place that you went to from a very young age. Uh, were we like 13 when you were sent there? <clears throat> Correct. I was 13 when I was sent there. Yeah. Uh, I think freshly turned 13. Um, but before that, I had been uh, what I guess like people that experience this type of stuff would refer to as like in the system. Um, so whether it's government, a government institution or privately owned institution. So um, I was in like a mental health facilities, mental hospital. What, what is the proper nomenclature these days? I mental both health sound good to me. Psych ward, like you know, whatever. I think yeah. our generation's a little bit, that was a generation before us may have called it the psych ward. 
Okay. So I was in, I was in a few of those, um, and that would be, you know, state run facility. And then somewhere like the family school is a for-profit private institution. Um, so my family would pay this place money in order to house me and rehabilitate. And oftentimes something like that is a, is a, uh, an alternative to a state run facility that is allowed under the law for you to go there. If like, let's say the law said you had to go somewhere, you have the choice between going to state run facility or you can pay to go to a private institution. Yes. That wasn't like, I, I wasn't involved with that, but lots of my friends there were. So basically like you're in trouble with the law. Um, you could either, yes, go to jail ostensibly Mm -hmm. or, um, you can go and get rehabilitated at this place. It was like an approved and accredited place. Yeah. Um, but it was, yes, for-profit, privately run. Yeah, so you go to this place. It's a, uh, essentially a summer camp in the woods run by a pseudo-religious uh, um, institution that is for-profit, taking money from your parents, taking money grants from the state. Yeah, a summer camp that's open all year round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm talking about like facility-wise, like kind of setup-wise yeah. and schedule-wise, yeah. But we definitely should paint the image that it's a absolute lockdown facility. Like, okay. there's no outside world shit. Like, there's <laughs> money doesn't exist there. Like, if they don't want you to have communication with anybody in the outside world, like, that's in their control. So, summer camp, that's funny. I think about summer camp, which is some of, like, synonymous with some of the best memories I have in my entire <laughs> life. And then I think about the family school, which is synonymous with absolutely the worst possible like situation I've ever experienced in my yeah. whole life. Yeah. So I definitely don't want to veer into this situation where we're like fetishizing trauma or something like that. Um, not that we would be, but, uh, I think it's important for you to tell the story because of, uh, the way that it made me feel about, uh, friends and family that had been in similar situations and the way that it, uh, outlined your life and the, seeing the things that you had overcome from it and you know it's just it's just a fucking crazy thing that you forget that these exist and this was only about 20 years ago less sure than, well i guess 20 less years than 20 ago. years ago yeah less than 20 uh, it, years ago. it opened in the 80s yeah the family school and then it was shut down uh i want to say 2015 yeah my my generation of people who went there were like the generation that got it shut down because we're you know the internet generation so they were able to form online groups to spread awareness about the abuse of places um, like this. Cause the family school is not the only place, you know, there's, there's tons of programs that still exist. Cause with minors, the thing that happens um, when you send a child to a private institution is like your parents sign over complete control um, and guardianship falls within the boundaries of this institution that you go to. So they can kind sure. of get away with lots of shit. Um, like if I had the choice to have gone to jail, there's actually like a lot more regulations and you have a lot more rights there. But when you're a minor, you have no rights. And especially if the guardianship is within like an abusive private run institution, you know? Yeah. Geographically located, not near anywhere else. There's no, like, oh, uh, yeah. nobody's visiting, you know, your lawyer's middle, not coming. There's no the lawyers coming. Nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyer, yeah. But yeah, so they got you. You get there, so it's, it's everybody in there is in a similar situation as you. They 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 you know are struggling with mental uh, health problems. They have to be rehabilitated or well, let's say punitive, like a punishment for a crime or whatever it is. And you guys are there, and you get there. What happens when you get there? Like when you rolled in, and everybody ages what thirteen to eighteen? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Damn, you did your research, my yeah. friend. Um. So when you get there, uh. 
And there are different means of you getting there, which is pretty important. And these still exist. So there's things called escort services, um, where basically two huge men, always, I'm not generalizing, um, will come to your house in the middle of the night, 2, 3, 4 a.m. So while this you're is sleeping. like from The Sopranos. Remember that scene in The Sopranos when uh, uh, they send, um, uh, what's his face? Is Vinny's, not Vinny, but the, uh, the dude, they, they come after his son and they come in the middle of the night and they put him in handcuffs. Yep, that's an escort service, and that's yeah. exactly that. That's not like that. That's what that was. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I was trying. Also, to think you ever of think a about the character development? You ever think about his car- character development? The son. What was his name? Vito Junior. He no fucking Tony Junior. No, it was Vito Junior that got the escort service. Yeah, I, Anthony I Junior. Because I was trying to find a pop culture reference of of. <laughs> of. <laughs> The Sopranos is my favorite show ever. Damn, damn, um, damn fine show. It's fucking Sopranos incredible. changed television forever. But uh, I, th- I was thinking about his character development literally the other day, and he never, he gets worse and worse as the seasons go on. To the, he's like the most hateable character on the show, Anthony Jr. Yeah. Oh, God, what a little shit. Yeah. I anyway. Mean, yeah. It's Tony's fault, well, you know what I mean? Hey. Dad's a, yeah. a, a, a murderous scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he treats like him a that psychopath. way. Morphs his, yeah, you know. That's a good point. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the options are the escort service, um, and you know they're supposed to catch you off guard. They put you in handcuffs and they take you away. Because um, the notion there is, if you have any like uh, ideas about you know where you might be being sent to, that you could run away or evade it in some way. Yeah. Um, so my parents did, uh, or, or, you know, your parents can take you there. It could be agreed upon what you, there could be a, you know, preconceived notion about this happening. My parents did something in between, which was, they didn't tell me, um, they told me that I was going to go tour this school and that they would take me out of like my regular public school for the day. Um, which was exciting that I didn't have to go to school and just in case things didn't work out, like I could go check out this, this boarding school, um, when they took me up there, um, they failed to mention that this was like a plan was to leave me there. Uh, so we go to start a tour and a tour of the facilities and three men come in and they go, hey, your tour starts in the locker room, uh, which was strange. And I get in the locker room and they say, you are here to stay um, for a minimum of 18 months. This Jesus isn't a tour. Christ. And my parents weren't with me. They, they, they took me away from them and had me start it in there. Um, and then they proceeded to make me take all my clothes off um, and my underwear um, and check that I had nothing on my person um, that, you know, drugs or, or anything like that. Um, but they do it in a very humiliating way. Um, that's kind of like the first thing that they do to start breaking you down and let you know that they're in control. Uh, and then they douse you in a de-lysing shampoo over your whole body, um, and you have to do it in front of them. So they see you doing it on every part of your body to make sure you're not bringing lice into the facilities, and you have to shower in front of them and then get dressed again. Um, That's and fucking then, crazy. As a 13-year-old. Yeah, I don't think I ever told you that no, part, No, I didn't did know I? that part, no. Yeah, well, you never asked me what's the first thing that happens. <laughs> uh yeah, wow, I haven't thought about that part in a while. It's like, the right off the bat, the first thing they do is just, like, traumatize the shit out of you. While yeah. asserting complete dominance, power, and control. You know what I mean? Of course. 
especially when they're that much bigger than you. Like even when you're that age and a, a huge man moves really fast, it's scary. You know, I always think about when I was a little kid, like when a disaster happened or a bunch of adults started running or fist fighting or something, it was always so horrifying because you're just so like, you know, tiny and frozen and just to be intimidated. Imagine if like a fucking nine foot motherfucker came up to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and with all of the worldly knowledge that you have, and like the 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 the, the, the um, cognitive abilities, I mean, I still feel that way. I, I'm five foot six, dude. I still go through life just thinking that everyone wants to assert their dominance over me, and that we're in a constant state of like emasculating other men. You know, a little bit, little yeah, little leftover from uh, the, <laughs> yeah, little. Uh, little leftover from the tribe. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, so you get there. What, what what happens next? You talk to your parents. Like, do they are they just gone? Uh, do they show you where you're going to sleep? Do you meet my a parents? Left. I think they probably convinced my parents. Like, hey, this is the best way. Um, uh, is you just leave and we'll take it from here. Um, I don't know what they tell your parents at that time, but I certainly know that they um, very very much lie to your parents for the entire duration of your stay there. Um, and we could get into that later, but. Basically, whatever time of the day your uh, it's called your intake, whatever time of the day your intake is, you basically just get thrown into like the daily procedures that happen, procedures, daily like livings that happen at the family school from that moment. Um, and I remember that, dude, I want to say it was like April 27th, a Wednesday. So almost like a year to the day today. Oh my God. I guess so, Tom. Jeez. Um... Wow, that fucks me up. Uh, fuck, where were we? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what happens after that? Like, we just get thrown oh, yeah, into yeah. the routine. Like, what's the so orientation got, process like? Got it. So I got thrown into just like the normal school day because um, my parents, my, my intake was just, you know, probably like 2 p.m. on, on the Wednesday. Yeah, whenever um, you got in. And life there is so different. <sighs> Can't stop burping. I'm drinking a polar. Please excuse me. <laughs> A polar seltzer water, 100% natural, calorie-free. Delicious. Um, anyway. So you're thrown uh, into a classroom and you have to so you, now... Yeah, and, yeah, a classroom, right? And you're basically like, you haven't been assigned classes yet. Um, they don't even tell you like what grade you're in that. They kind of just like figure all of this shit out for you. They just tell you like, you're in seventh grade. Like, it, it's yeah. so bizarre. Um so they pair you up with what they call a senior member, which is another student who's been there for an extended period of time who is working the program. I'm, I'm making quotations with my fingers. You can't see. Sure. Uh, so, so working the program. Kind of vocabulary, their, their nomenclature, working the program. Yeah. Is. So I'm going to use a lot of the vocabulary that they had there, which is like pretty hard to extrapolate. Sure, you already used for some of the phrases that we're familiar with as far as like uh, institutional pop culture. You said intake, you know, that's like yeah, when you get yeah, to a sure. prison, all that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, okay, so you're with a senior member. To become a senior member, you have to be, you know, working the program. By working the program means following their set of like guidelines and ideals in order to be a model citizen in their eyes. Um, which I would like to say, like, is very, very different than what you and I would think now. And, like, we can definitely break that down and talk about it. But I'm paired up with another student, and I'm following that student all day long, morning, afternoon, night, up until bedtime. I have to be within an arm's reach of him at all time. Um, I'm called his shadow. Okay. 
that's like the the label that they give you or whatever. Yeah. Um, so he's shadowing me. So I'm thrown in. So I'm following him at this point to his classes because I haven't been assigned classes yet and, and yeah. stuff like that. So that's how it all starts. And then the next thing, I guess, would be the most important part of the day at the family school are meals. So... Um, and more importantly, lunch and dinner, because this is where all of their, and I don't want to say therapizing because it's not therapy. It's like, but it's called a therapeutic boarding school. It's, it's their way of pushing their agenda on the students and like asserting that program into them. And what they do is every, every, the whole school is broken down into families and there's about 35 students per family. There's eight families and then there's staff members assigned to each family. Right. So there's about 35 like like Hogwarts. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just like that. Um, so every day at breakfast, lunch and dinner, they, the whole family assembles, um, and they get one student at a time up at the, it's called getting them up at the table. So just imagine a bunch of tables, uh, arranged in a U shape. Um, and it goes guy, girl, guy, girl, guy, girl. That's the only time of day you're allowed to talk to, to the opposite, the the opposite sex. Correct. Um, and at the head of the table are all the staff members. And then there are two very powerful staff members, um, which are the head of the family and they're basically act as parents. So ours, it was um, a husband wife duo and the wife was uh, the principal of the school and the husband was the English teacher. Um, Our family, family one was like, had the notorious, like the most stringent um, and kind of like the hardest uh, on rules and hardest on student family. That was like what we were known for. Anyway, they would get a student one at a time, get them up and basically just like, drill them get into like their deepest darkest secrets you mean like um, make them kind of confess or uh like uh, uh, uh vocally self-flagellate themselves in front of the everyone else at the, the u-shaped table and there's like 35 kids sitting there yeah 100 percent. like i mean if okay say like i had just gotten sent there which i did that's kind of where we're at in the story yeah they would get me up and they'd be like why do you think you were sent here and I'd be like, obviously, I have no fucking idea why I was sent here. I'm a 13-year-old boy. Um, I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I had like a, a rough go of it. Like, I got into punk rock also at like a really young age. I got real rebellious. I started smoking weed when I was 12. I started like having girlfriends and shit. I didn't, I didn't like authority. And, um, yeah, yeah like you're uh, a difficult-to-control child behaviorally, you know. Sure, yeah. You're a little asshole. I was a, I was a little shit. <laughs> I was just a goddamn little shit. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, why did you get here? And then it starts there. And, you know, flash forward, 18-month program. Um, I was left there um, for three years, unfortunately. Yeah, so to, uh, just to jump in to stay with the kind of timeline of the situation, you just get there. You're thrown into it. You have no fucking clue what's going on. And the way that they work is every day they go over their kind of therapeutic method that they that they call it so and this is anchored on lunch and dinner and you get one person to come up it's just one per session and you just kind of come up and just it, it, like berate yourself in front of everyone with the adults there uh like one person up at the table per session i mean yeah it's one person in front of 35 people um often too like if if you're really 
if, if they deem you like you did something really bad, they'll get you up in front of the entire fucking school. Jesus. Um, yeah, and that was brutal because that's like 250 kids, um, and that's really humiliating. I mean, basically, it's not just that you're berating yourself, right? It's that basically the techniques that they used were humiliation and embarrassment. Um, What's, uh, do you I have think an that, example if you're comfortable of what kind of things that they, people would say? Yeah. Uh, oh, jeez. That doesn't have to be something that you said or anything like that. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, like, I, I'm just trying happy to, to figure out what exactly it would go on. Like, what exactly is this? I, so, like, well, th- their ideals come from a very, very Christian standpoint. Um, the whole ba- the whole place is based on like very religious ideologies. But let's just say like um, sex and masturbation and stuff like that. Sexuality. Okay. Uh, they had this like obsession with not masturbating, and that if a a student would to ever masturbate, it would basically block them from throwing themselves into the work of the program. So like if they thought that you were ever like touching yourself, they would get you up in front of all the other students, uh, guys and girls. And Which is a big basic- fucking deal for a bunch of teenagers. Like Jesus I Christ. I mean, imagine being 13 years old and tr- having to admit that in front of like a bunch of peers your age that like you have like lusting thoughts and that you fucking masturbate like you know what i mean yeah yeah. and the whole thing is if they embarrass you enough you're not going to want to do it you're going to have trauma associated with this thing yeah and you're going to have fear associated with this thing and then so take that and apply it to like literally every other aspect of life and that's how they're able to break you down like essentially using brainwashing techniques and then build you back up into the person that you want to be and at that age like you touched on it is like you're a sponge dude yeah like you you just absorb whatever's around you like most kids there they're not learning how to be this this like god-fearing you know chase individual it's like we are learning by being Essentially, like abused and well, broken down. Like, how to like another avoid level things. of Pavlonian, you know, uh, response. It's like you, the, if you don't do this, you don't experience the. Uh, it's like shocking a rat, uh, except yeah. in a deeply psych, uh, psychological and, and arguably spiritual level. Like that's fucking crazy. So this is how they got everybody to do this during the program. So what would, why would one, why would someone get called up? Like what would you have to do? Or was for it just randomly anything. did that? This is what's so like you're wild. late so for class or some shit? Or did you, yeah, did you have be, that autonomy to walk around where you wanted? Like No, you, you have zero autonomy there. That's a good question. Eventually, like if you really which in their eyes, just to, to touch on this again, like we're working the program, like they actually trusted that you, you know I have to I uh, if you don't mind me taking a step back, the program is 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 very, very strictly um revolves around Alcoholics Anonymous um, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Uh, So everybody that's sent there is deemed some sort of... um, Addict or... Addict or alcoholic or sex addict or sex... Did I say sex addict? I just did that. Alcoholic, sex addict, drug addict, food addict. 
everybody is given a title like that, very often multiple titles, right? Okay. So I never, I never t- read the big book uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a little bit familiar with some of the concepts, and I know some people who have used them to great advantage in their life and for, for, for beautiful things. And I know some people who didn't work for it, and, uh, and I know how it can be interpreted. Um, you know, great ways, and clearly through a kaleidoscope of insanity, in this case, uh, in, in bad ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fucked up. It's like, uh, by by the end of my three years there, honestly, I was, hi, my name is Corey. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I think at one point I was saying I was a sex addict. I may have said I was a food addict. But, I mean, the, the rationality is that, you know, before I got sent there, I think I smoked weed a handful of times out of, like, aluminum foil, you know, at Craig's house. Like, yeah, fucking... Yeah. You know what I mean? But the whole thing is just like, even if you had never done this, there were kids there that were calling themselves alcoholics that had never drank before. Because basically they would break you down to the point of where you start thinking to yourself, well, okay, I have addictive tendencies. And the way that I probably would deal with my like problems, I'm doing a quotation thing again, sure. would be through alcohol. So I might as well preemptively call myself an alcoholic. Wow. Yeah, it's bizarre. So I mean, that's just so unfair. Yeah, so it's just like all these titles, right? There's just title after title. So you have this like uh, this this cornucopia of like Alcoholics Anonymous, the Blue Book, the Twelve Steps. That's like a, a huge foundation of their program, mixed with, and I don't mean spirituality, I mean religion. So when you yeah, get so this there, isn't too dissimilar to uh, the structure of some cults, uh, you know, where they it would, was founded yeah. by a cult. I mean, yeah, we, so we didn't talk about that. That's what I mean. That like this is just such a precarious and insane situation to find yourself in. Some cults they'll take a a very high personality or set of personalities people uh, that interpret a religious text or make up their own or their own spirituality or whatever, and the other people fall into that. Uh, in this situation, you're you're sent there as children to be to be molded, and they used whatever scripture or interpretation that they have of these things to build this system that they try to get everyone to fall into, and it's fucking crazy. What uh, can you touch on a bit about the cult that founded it? You said. Yeah, so like, uh, I just, I don't want to give any misinformation, but I'm going to do my best. And as part of it is speculation, I apologize. Um, But from what I remember, these people that founded it, it was founded by a a man named Tony Argyros. um, And he was a horrible fucking individual. Uh, And I, I mean, I heard his stories back in the day when it originally opened, and it was a very small group of people. I think that you were you would go there voluntarily, and it was of all ages, not just teenagers or children. Um, and it was the same techniques, but it was a lot more abusive. Um, there was a lot more physical abuse involved. Um, and they would basically just break you down and break you down, have you admit your problems, scream at you. I, I heard stories of him putting cigarettes out on women when he was Jesus. angry with them, shit like that. Yeah. Uh, but these people were very, very closely related to the original people who founded Alcoholics Anonymous and the big book and stuff. And basically, from my understanding, during the civil rights um, days, when people were like running away and starting cults in the mountains, you know, Mm -hmm. these people started a similar one that was like based all around Alcoholics Anonymous and this type of way of changing people's lives. So it's not like that inherently the people that like work for created whatever Alcoholics Anonymous are bad people, but these people took it, interpreted it this way and said, this is like our systemic beliefs. And we came up with a program of how we think we can change people, their behavior and get them to act a different way. 
Yeah, right? I think that's and a really it, important point that you just made, and a really yeah. great point that we're it's, not it's discouraging not like Alcoholics you, Anonymous. I've seen it work so beautifully oh, for dude, so many people. 100%. This is a situation where people took something and ran with it in such a terrible direction and interpretation that it, it created such a um, horrible, violent, traumatic, disgusting um, outcome. I mean, there, yeah, there's a there's a complete difference in like you saying, "Hey, I think I might have a problem with alcohol. I'd like to go check out an an AA meeting and see if it's something that I'm comfortable with and something that I might align myself with." Yeah. Or saying, "You're a fucking alcoholic, you child. You are mandated to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting every day of the week." By the way, yeah, you don't have to at first start calling yourself an alcoholic, but after X amount of time, if you don't realize that you are or would be an alcoholic, there's going to be a problem. You're going to there's going to be punishments. Yeah. And a way to evade that pun- those punishments or just start saying like I'm Corey, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I'm a sex I'm a sex addict, I'm, I'm a food addict. Um, yeah, I just have really addictive tendencies, so I need to, you know, figure out how to work this program. Um, so I don't receive these punishments and I, uh, that brings a whole uh, new dimension to what you first described at the beginning about what the goal of having the children behave is to quote unquote work the program. And that's what you mean is like their, this organization came up with their own program that they were eventually yeah. trying to get you to, uh, align yourself with and to internalize, you know, based Correct. off of the, uh, horrible punishments that they, and humiliating punishments that they gave to you guys. Yeah, and I'm trying to go and like, uh, so I just like to say in advance, like, forgive me if this bounces all over the place. Like, um, this place was really, really abusive to everybody that went there, all of my fucking peers that it went there. And a lot of times, like, uh, memories associated with abuse don't really link up with time. It's a different part of your brain. And uh, so my brain kind of jumps all over the place. So I'm doing my best. I just hope it's not like... Oh, no, yeah, no, totally. Uh, okay. I appreciate it immensely. It's, a, it's painting a picture in, a, you know, in that way that you're painting it. Okay, good. Um, yeah, there's just a lot to explain because I, I like none of these things exist anywhere else. I've, I've never heard of them. Like, I, we talked, I, you and I have talked about this before, but they have these things that are called sanctions. Like, should I talk about that? Yeah, I think you should. I think that one of the reasons you, well, I know that one of the reasons you and I talked about doing this was that people listening can have experiences of their own or may know of things and that the more that we know about this uh, collectively, the better that we can handle it from the past as it reflects in the present and the more that we can stop it from happening in the future. Yeah. Or even if like, you know, somebody that has maybe been through, you know, what we call the system or whatever, like they all come with their own laundry list of like ways that they think and believe that rehabilitating people should work. And a lot of them might not be what you and I like would refer to as healthy. Sure. And there's a lot of people that I know that went to like the family school, for instance, like that haven't talked about it. Yeah. Um, and have put it down and like from any of my experiences there, like I know how horrible that was. So for somebody to like feel like they need to keep that inside and not talk about it or feel like they're not deserving of help in any sort of way, even if that help is just having a conversation. Yeah. Um, I know for me, like it took me until like, dude, my thirties to be like, I am a person that experienced trauma because I see so many other people around me that have experienced traumatic things um, on any level. And I'm like, well, uh, 
I quantize it, you know. Oh, like, of course, well, yeah, that, like, that well, can't be I as bad deserve, as what I went through. Yeah, correct. Back I don't forth, deserve you know, this. Like, a... we should have never talk about this stuff I went through um, because you were uh, abused as a child, or because this, this or that, you know. Yeah, sure. And uh, it's not fair. We're all deserving of that. So, oh, like, totally. And there's a big difference between like somebody who's complaining about their partner that you just met for like a fucking hour, which is just annoying. And then someone that has like a, you know, like a a legitimate experience that they feel that they can't share because of the the value or what they deserve to share with it. And I think that's, that's horrible. Uh, And it's really, it's, it keeps a lot of beautiful things down uh, in this world. Yeah, I think you're right. So I just wanted to say that, that that's, yeah. But uh, they had these, the biggest way that they would like kind of, um, go through with punishments or with these things called sanctions, right? So basically the best way to break down somebody is find out what their things that they care about the most, you know, their creative endeavors, their hobbies, um, and strip them from them so that they can insert like the new, like, no, this is your life now. So, you know, I go there and, Oh, you, you're a musician. Cause I, I've been playing my whole life, just like you, you know, I played drums and shit. So they took music away. So by taking music away, I mean, I can't tap on the table. I can't, we had to go to church every day. Um, some sort of church service. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I'm not allowed to sing hymnals with all the other kids. Jesus, uh, so just, for, for just for an example, you're in the church, everyone's singing, you know, here I'm I am Lord or some shit. You're not allowed to sing. No, I'm not allowed to sing. And like, Jesus whether, Christ. whether or not I like believe in the sermon or believe in the words, like having that sort of like community where yeah, like music. you're, yeah, it's music. You know what it does. And it's, it's shitty. So they take that away from me, you know, because they know that that's something that I care about. So no, we're going to make you care about something else. So that's a sanction. Um, also a lot of sanctions, are supposed to be less meaningful as just like uh, a punishment to create fear to not do something again. Um, so let's say I failed a t- uh, consistently was failing tests, which means I'm not applying myself well enough, which means, you know, I, yeah, I'm not studying enough. I'm whatever. So they would do things like fuck with your food um, because man so like okay yeah the, so you get biggest, you get a sanction for failing test consistently and it's lunchtime and it's lunchtime so instead of eating whatever everybody else is eating they're gonna give you grade d raw tuna fish on a raw english muffin um which i don't know if you've seen that kind of tuna fish but it's not like the gorgeous white tuna mixed with mayonnaise and it's just like brown chunks of like raw tuna fish and uh they eventually did away with that because kids were getting fucking mercury poisoning. And then they switched it over to raw, um, fuck what they call Boca burgers, which was like a really crappy soy burger. Yeah. That was like the first vegetarian burger that was around. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's gnarly. tastes like cardboard and it would be a raw version of that. So, you know, obviously uncooked on a raw English muffin and they give you one juice glass size of water to be able to like put a bite in your mouth, mix it with water and swallow it down. So that would be your punishment. So like anything that you did that was like deemed unacceptable in their eyes, if they could associate it with, you know, a pain and fear technique, then that would ostensibly change your behavior. Um, 
And also, like, they put kids in charge of those sanctions. So, like, the senior member that I was describing earlier, you know, who I was shadowing, he'd be in charge of making sure that I had to eat, which they called alternative food, whether that be, you know, the tuna fish or the the, uh, <laughs> the raw fucking uh, Boca burger. Yeah. And kids are vengeful and... Kids are kids and putting children in charge of other children is brutal, especially like when they're all being abused. So they're going to create their own hierarchical, a hierarchical, yeah, hierarchical, sure. hierarchical society. So, will, yeah. Will, thank the you. System will exist within that. I mean, think of Lord, yeah. there's a reason why that you read uh, Lord of the Flies. You know, that is there's a lot of truth to that and a lot of uh, uh you know, a lot of our ourselves reflected in that. If, especially if you're a kid and all you see is an adult treating people cruelly, then with cruelty, then you think that that's how to treat somebody, or that's how you get what you want, or that's you know yeah. your only se- the only thing you can control. Plus, kids are just fucking evil already. I mean, think about the times <laughs> that you were mean to someone for no fucking reason when you were 13. I mean, kids um, are. I mean, think of like the the bully mentality. It's the same thing. I mean, if you if if a kid is bullied by his father, there's a, such a large chance he's going to go out and bully other children because a that's what he knows, and b that's how he knows how to take out that sort of aggression or whatever. Yeah. So it's so like I, I guess the reason I brought it up is like I can like I have this visual memory of like watching my senior member squeeze all the juice out of the raw tuna fish onto the English muffin. Wow! And then putting. Just to make it like that much worse, uh, because that gave him some sort of power, like some sort of, you know, like satisfaction, if you will. It was so gnarly. But I was thinking some of the sanctions the other day because they were just so they were the ones that were served a purpose. Right. And then the ones that were meant to not serve a purpose. So like I was to keep you in a type of fear uh, or yeah, or uncertainty, confusion. Much more eloquent. Thank you, Tom. Uh, yeah. So there was the one called a work sanction where they would basically take you out of school, right? Which I found out um, is absolutely illegal. And then they would put you to work, physical labor, and In it was especially capacity, illegal. Like doing landscaping at the place, shit like that. Correct. Digging Correct. ditches. But one of the biggest things is, yes, digging ditches. Imagine the book hole. So they <laughs> wanted to serve you with labor that... Um, didn't yield any sort of like outcome. They didn't want to make you feel like you accomplished anything. Ah, so the so epitome the, of like a busy work situation. Like correct. Yeah. So like the biggest one that they did would be make us fill up these forty pound buckets of rocks. Um, they would just have like a pile of rocks, and we would fill them with shovels, and then we would walk from one side of a cow field to another side of a cow field, empty it, then fill it back up, walk back to the other side for eight hours. That's fucking insane. And you weren't supposed to feel like you accomplished anything. And I remember, like, I got slammed with sanctions there because I was different. There were a lot of kids that were sent there that were um, parts of gangs. Like, man, I knew kids that, like, shot other people and stuff. Like, real gnarly stuff. Um, But there weren't that many, like, for lack of a better term, like, punks that got sent there. Like, a lot of my rebellious, like, mentality came from, like, punk rock dude yeah and they didn't really know like they hadn't seen that too much before and they didn't really know what to do and i think that that freaked them out so they just slammed me with sanctions um so i was on tons of work sanctions and i remember just being like elated when i found out like oh my god we're mowing the lawn today at least like we're gonna get something done. yeah at least there's a purpose. but i mean there's an end goal mow a lawn for eight hours yeah that's fuck that's just insane that it's basically like a disciplinary cult it's a disciplinary cult. 
Yeah, and, and like things like uh, if you walked slowly, right? Like your senior member would, they, you could nominate somebody to be brought up at one of those meals. And so this then, is the kind of shit that creates this lack of trust in the social fabric. Like it, it almost seems like you can't really unite together in your shared experience when you hear about things like this, when you hear about the doling out of punishments by children to children or totally. what you're talking about now, which is the kind of backstabbing, um, you know, like social manipulation and engineering that you could do to get somebody called up in front of one of these things. Engineering. That's such a, uh, a great word to describe it. So the, the, because there were way less staff members than kids, they basically relied on the kids to police each other. Right. So, and you were able to, in a major way, prove your worth in the program, like by calling out other kids for not doing their work in the program. And you learn this very, very quickly on you. The more freedom you excuse me, you receive more freedom by showing that you believe in the ideologies of the program by slamming other kids who might not be aligning themselves with that. So you can nominate a kid to get up in front of this table and be like, hey, um, I noticed that you were walking really slowly and you made me late to class because you weren't walking fast enough. So they'd be like, okay, so your sanction's called trotting. Trotting is you're not allowed to walk anywhere without like trotting, like bringing your knees up to your chest. Jesus. When you walk anywhere until further notice. What so, the I mean, fuck is that? You could be on it for a month, Tom. Like I'm not, I'm not making that up. You could only walk from point A to point B by trotting, and and, and it's also supposed to be humiliation. Like you're yeah. trotting like a horse in front of people. Yeah. Um, the worst one that they really slammed me with was um, blackout, and blackout was a term that they used to say that you couldn't talk to a specific person or a specific group of peoples. So this could apply to other students at the school. It could even apply to staff members or it could apply to your family, right? So I would like to say that it's like to have the privilege to even be able to talk to your family. And by family, I mean like hyper-specifically your nuclear family. Parents. Um, for, me, S- for me, it was only parents. Yeah, some people had the privilege to talk to their siblings. I was not allowed to, um, which I found out years later that my brother was writing me letters um, for all the years I was there, and they, they threw them all out before they got to me. Wow. Um, so I had no idea that my brother was trying to like reach out. Holy but, shit. Yeah, so they would put me on blackout with other students, um, other students and other families, but I remember I got to the point where I was on blackout with everybody that existed except for my senior member. So there's one person in the entire school that I was allowed to talk to, albeit he was in a different grade than me. So the only time of day that we would see each other is at meals and at night when we were allowed to do our homework. And I was on this for months at a fucking time. So I went probably about two months without talking to anybody except for one person. And that's, that was like a, a punishment. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm at a loss for words for a lot of these uh, uh, situations. It, it really yeah. just, I can't imagine the weight that is put onto a child in that in that circumstance. Uh, it's fucking crazy. So, yeah, but so you can only imagine, right? Like, say, whatever, like, bizarre, you, you could come up with, like, an insane set of rules and guidelines for how you think the world should be governed. And you say, I want everybody to act like this. And this is this is the way. This is the only way, right? Yeah, and this is the t- part, the question that gets to me is, is there... And eat like do the people in charge who come up with this they're creative i'm sure that they're reading books about psychology and have some kind of bizarre uh justification for a lot of what they're doing um 
but like you know are they actually inherently evil or do they believe in what they're doing there has to be a sneaking suspicion inside of them where it's like just taking part in the cruelty themselves you know like i just it's fucking unfathomable to me i don't know if they're inherently evil um I don't even know if being evil is uh, an inherent thing. I think that a lot of that kind of shit is learned behavior. And sure. yeah, it could be. Basically, I mean, I, I, I truly believe that just the first couple of years of our life alone governs who we're going to be for, like, the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, I mean, that those those child attachment styles you know yeah i think and, a lot uh, of the child yeah. attachment styles the systems theories a lot of the things that at least a lot of me and my friends are starting to learn about as we've gotten older um in our yeah, exactly. you know, late 20s and 30s and try to start to ask the questions why do we behave the way we do it does put a yeah. whole new twist on on the behavior of adults or people that were yeah. our age when we were younger and watching them behave you know it's kind of uh and it's that's that's why i keep coming back to that question of who's in charge here and why and it's I don't know, man. It's fucking. You crazy. should write a book called "Who's in Charge Here and Why." I would <laughs> fucking read that on the on the title alone. But I mean, like my parents, like there's a. I disagree with a lot of ways that they raised me from the get go. You know, and I'm not going to blow up their spot on this podcast. But like some <laughs> some things that I'm very uncomfortable with and very unhappy with that really shaped a lot of the ways or excuse me, like the things that I don't like about myself, how I behave or how I treat people. And that I've been trying to like unravel and deconstruct and like unlearn, you know, and as, you know, as an adult now, and it continued very well into my teenage years while being in the system. So like, you know, maybe you don't like the way that your parents raise her, or maybe you were even abused as a child you know, send somebody to the family school that's founded by a cult, put them in like a hyper religious and like bizarre ideologies and techniques for executing them and just basically abuse the shit out of a teenager until they leave. Yeah. And it fucked up a lot of fucking people, man. Most of my friends from there are dead. I'm not joking. Like, and it's really, really sad. Uh, And to, to now to say what you're saying now, the, after you got out and you've changed your life, clearly you've uh, become a successful business owner, a, a wonderful – one of my best friends in the entire world. Uh, I think you're a wonderful and beautiful human being. What what did – as you Thank left, you so where, uh, what happened to everybody when they left? Now, where do you go from there? What was it like to come back into society and what uh, – and to, to, to really bring it home, what have the internet, what, what role has the internet played in connecting you guys that went there together again? Um, that's a lot. So yeah, that's a lot. Sorry. So basically I was trying to get, uh, get you to talk about what, what was like to come back into the world and then coming back into the world was also traumatic and really, really difficult. Um, where are you on the screen? I can't see you. Oh, I may have disappeared on you. Sorry, I'll try to come back. I think my camera overheated. Oh, it's okay. Uh, that's You just lied to me. No, I didn't. I think my camera overheated. <laughs> what the fuck? I no one's to... ever said that. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> my camera overheated. Yeah, I got, a, hey, long, I got a whole, I got an external camera thing. Is it back now? Oh, you have an external camera. No, yeah, you're not no, back now. It says, it says 30 with a circle around it. Oh, weird. Um, okay. The question was, yeah, 
when I left there, so I left there under very, very um, intense and weird means um, that was quite different than a lot of other students. Um, there were a lot of students that graduated the program. Um, so by completing the program, not only do you graduate, you know, just the school aspect because there is because it, it is like a high school still. It's still a high school. So it's you get all your year round. High school though. diploma from them. Yeah, from New York State. Yeah, because it's in New York, um, and it's all year round. You get uh, a week off for Christmas and a week off in the summer. So, um, you have to complete school and you have to complete their program, and they very often don't align, um, and they're not synonymous, right? So you might be done with all your credits to receive a high school diploma, but if they feel as though you did not complete their program, they're not going to let you graduate. Um, so there was definitely, you know, at any given time, like it, it, there's graduations twice a year and there'd be like upwards of 30 kids that were actually graduated. And there's a whole ceremony. They graduate. they also receive their diploma and that they move on into the real world. Uh, for me, I was not so lucky. Um, I was supposed to graduate. And then after being there for three years, um, mind you, which is double the length of the actual normal program time, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they took my graduation away from me and said, you're going to have to stay here another six months. We don't think you're ready to go out into the world. Um, this was all because they let me go on a home visit. Their only way of assimilating you back into society and culture is by very close up to you graduating. They let you go home for a couple days at a time to see your family. Um, but that's it. You can like go places with your family. Like you could go to the movies or you could go to a restaurant or uh-huh. whatever. But you to get that sort of privilege, like you're the creme de la creme. Yeah, you know you'd be I mean? really working their program. I mean, I'm there almost three years. I finally get this. I get to go home. Um, they failed to remember that they gave me permission to see a childhood best friend. And uh, this person, she like literally was one of the best people I knew, like was went to NYU, uh, just like never touched drugs and alcohol in her life, just a wonderful person. And when I got back, I like told the story of I went on this this home visit and I saw her and they're like, you can't see an old friend. And I was like, you gave me permission. They're like, you know, that's a rule. You can't see an old friend. That's absolutely against the rules. Like you broke the rules, Corey. We're taking your graduation and you're staying another six months. Um, and I was like, I cannot be here three and a half years. Please let me call my parents. Um, and a very, very bizarre thing happened. I went to the principal and I said, please let me call my mom. I have, I have to figure this out. I can't stay here another six months. Like I've been here for three years and she said, run away. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was like, what? She was like, run away. I'm, I'm giving you the chance right now to run away. I'm giving you a head start before we call the cops or before we send anybody to look at you, um, look for you. Sorry. And I remember that's fucking crazy. I was really, really sick. I had asthmatic bronchitis. Um, I was on a work sanction because they had already stripped me of all my responsibilities. They stripped me of all my titles and they put me back to like nothing again um, because they found out about this, uh, me seeing this friend on my home visit. Um, And all I had was a pair of sweatpants on and a sweatshirt and it was raining out and I was asthmatic bronchitis and I ran as fast as I could and I just kept running and then a car found me. Um, and I put out my thumb and I was like, can you take me to town? And he was like, are you at that, from that school up the road? And I was like, yeah. Um, and he was just like, okay. And I did what 
I was actually a really good idea. Like in hindsight, I hitchhiked to a fucking um, rehab uh, because I knew that rehab for a minor would be free room and board. Oh um, shit! And also, like I was very familiar with the program. A lot of the uh, outpatient AA uh, meetings that we would go to would be at, at rehabs. Wow, so, so it was I knew like that a it was proxy a safe, kind of release. Yeah, I knew it was like a safe place, right? So I went there. Um, and then I called, <laughs> I remember that you could hit four one one. Remember that you could hit four one. Yeah. So I didn't like use a phone to call anybody in three years. Like uh, I didn't have any money, anything. And, no calling um, card. Remember <laughs> no when we used to have, have calling cards? Yeah. Jeez. And I remembered you could do four one one and I found out another one of my childhood best friends. Um, I called his, his house, like his parents' house and he happened to be home and he fucking drove up. Uh, t- to Binghamton, New York, where this was, and and picked me up and brought me home. Holy um, shit! And, and he was like essentially just like harboring me, um, you know, away from my parents or whatever. I was still a minor; I was still seventeen. Um, and basically, I went to my old high school that I would have gone to in Warwick, New York. I went in um, and told them like the situation and they were able to get my transcripts, like my actual school transcripts uh, from the family school. And they fucking gave me a high school diploma. And I apparently had enough, I had enough uh, because you went to school all year round. I had enough credits to graduate with an advanced regents diploma, which is like the highest diploma you could get for a high schooler. And I had three college classes under my belt already at 17 years old. Um, after my junior year, I didn't need to go to my senior year of, of high school or whatever. So then I eventually, you know, my parents, I, I told them I went home. Um, they kept threatening to send me back to the family school because that's all they knew. You know, yeah. was you left you left this place on bad terms. Uh, and we agreed that they would let me go to college. I'd already gotten into college because I was supposed to graduate the family school before they took it away from me. I'd been accepted to Marywood University in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Catholic College in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yep. So I left in uh, the middle of winter, and then I started my college term two months later of my freshman year, two months after running away from the family school out of being completely locked out of society completely from 13 years old, um, going straight to college, which was getting back to your original question. So I, I hope that wasn't too, too convoluted. I had a no, point. That was, there. A there great, was, great, okay. that was a great story. I did not know the details of that story after of all these years. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, there were obviously like I, some to, filler to, in there. Some, uh, yeah, there there's some, some filler. My, my parents actually, when they found out I was in uh, out of the family school um, and had run away, they came and picked me up and brought me back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it could it was it was couldn't have been. They brought me back, and then uh, the next day I had a meeting with the head staff of the entire school, and my parents even drove up for it. And I basically broke down and was like, I, I, I can't be here anymore. Like, I cannot be here anymore. And the family school was just like, the thing is, is this is why it was so fucked up. And this is why they gave my transcripts to, to the high school in Warwick is because they knew that I should have left there. But because I had broke this um, internal rule that was like 
a very important role. They would, had to take my graduation away. Yeah, I would imagine that there's not like, a, a, as far as New York State goes, a reason for not graduating high school isn't that you saw a friend while you were not in school. You know, you can't. Exactly. Yeah, you can, if you skip too many gym classes, they can make you go to, the, you know, play Frisbee in, after the summer after your, your senior year. But you can't, yeah, this is like, as far as their academic accreditation goes, they can't be like, yeah, we didn't give it to him because he, th- th- this insane, you know, arbitrary disciplinary rule. Exactly. So I think that's, I think that's why they let me leave. That I think they sense, let me yeah. gracefully go without like other students knowing exactly what happened. Let the students think that he ran away when they knew like, okay, he's been here for three years. Like maybe he saw an old friend, but like, fuck, you know? And because of that, there was like a pretty decently smooth transition between like them giving my transcripts to another high school, uh, my mom kind of doing her nice, like threatening, like, hey, what you did was illegal. You let my 17 year old son like run away from your facility. Um, I'll sue you. Uh, and because I, I was still a, a minor, you know. Yeah. And because of that, I two months later. So it was really weird going from an absolute 100% lockdown facility. Mind you, for the year to two years before that, I was in and out of the system through mental hospitals, um, in and outpatient programs, stuff like that as a child. So I spent like all my teenage years uh, kind of in the system, if you will. Yeah. And then I went to college as a 17-year-old. By 17-year-old, I mean teen, teenager, child. Like, yeah. dude, it, it was insane, you know? So I, I picked whatever major I thought would be like the easiest thing. So what I do fucking radio and television, which like literally the only thing I learned from it is how to make my voice sound okay right now in garage band. Like well, hopefully for, we do it. Sir. We do it service. Yeah. Uh, hopefully so we do after it college, you get that. Now the reconnection with people in the family school comes from like a Facebook group situation. Yeah. The family foundation truth campaign. That was, okay. Uh, so the, it's called the family foundation truth campaign. Yeah. And, um, dude, I want to say the kid that started that killed himself. Or like a year or two ago. Um, And it may have been an overdose or it may have been an intentional overdose. And that is like pretty ubiquitous amongst the alumni that have passed away since the inception of the family school, which is a staggering um, amount of alumni. Uh, The reason I'm I'm giving that information is uh, you brought up the New York Times article um, that came out roughly two years ago and it basically I think what was it titled like who who's next or something like that um yeah I'm not sure something like like a link to it in the notes at at the the episode the website Um, it's it's beautiful journalism um and it's really extensive but it basically refers to my generation of students that went there and how we got it shut down and their reference um their who's next is referencing how many alumni have passed since the inception of family school. And it's the, the amount is unfathomable. I want to say it's like over 118 or something like that. And most of them are either suicide or overdose um, after coming out of the family school. And these may have been people that use drugs or alcohol before going there as kids, but a lot of them aren't. And I, I'd really love to suspect that the amount of trauma induced at the family school and the difficulty of processing and navigating that you know, we're humans and a lot of humans turn to things. Um, oh yeah. I mean, like, all like empirical, uh, the need for an empirical, you know, matching of the population versus the, the, the graduates of the family school thing aside, I would imagine that the outcome is because these fucking kids were forced to, to live in a high stress 
horribly traumatic experience for several years in a cult. I was going to say pseudo cult, but I mean, essentially, you know, it's a, it's it's a cult. cult. Yeah. I mean, also like we, we didn't touch on this, but the kids that did actually like graduate the program and shit, there was no like class or like sort of program in state to assimilate them back into culture before leaving. Right. Yeah, they're so be just as fucked up as anybody else. They throw you completely back into the outside world. And I'm talking like I hadn't even as so much given a girl a high five in three years, you know, Jesus, let alone be like, I have a crush on you. Yeah. I hadn't, se- I hadn't seen money in three years. This is how I, I talk to you, even though I've never been allowed to talk to you. Yeah. Dude, my first job after leaving the, uh, the family school, I remember I was working with this, this gal at a cafe. Um, and we brushed shoulders and at the family school, if you ever brush shoulders with someone of the opposite sex, you had to acknowledge it and you had to apologize for it. And if you didn't, it was considered flirting and you get in trouble. So I remember Jesus. we brushed shoulders while working in close quarters in a kitchen together. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she was like, so fucking freaked out. <laughs> but this is like, literally like I just got thrown right back in. Yeah, also it's like fucking crazy. Imagine not seeing money for three years. And then realize that everything in society runs on money. How do I obtain money? Like, how do I use it? How do I do it it? when I have it? (laughs) What is it? How much does something cost? Yeah. Um, Something else that we really need to touch on and why it closed, because it wasn't just the family truth campaign. I mean, that was like the, a huge reason why it got chosen. I'm super proud of everybody that was involved in that. And that actually, just to go back to the website you were talking about, family foundation truth campaign, they had tons of alumni um, submit their testimonials to their experience at the family school and, and mine's on there. And that could be a cool link to post too. You can really read because like, man, some stuff that happened to other people was unbelievable shit. Like Tom, you and I have talked about it before. Things that they did to, to girls yeah. was, or, or uh, people that homosexuals, things that yeah. they did to homosexuals, like well, convince I mean, them that, you know, that imagine. They, yeah, they weren't allowed to be gay. Um, yeah. They basically tried to convince them that they had to pray to Jesus Christ to, you know, become straight because it's, you know, basically evil. Um, and, you know, women, like, it was always about breaking them down. Like, the word slut was used very, very heavily. If you were, like, an attractive girl um, and people would express that they had, they would call it lusting, like it, lustful thoughts, you know? If, yeah, if yeah. Samantha, if a lot of guys were having lustful thoughts about Samantha, Samantha's they, would puni- fault. they would punish Samantha and they would force her to eat more. They would, um, they, I forget what the sanction was called, but they could only wear sweatpants and sweatshirts and then they would cut their hair into a bowl cut. Jesus um, Christ. This is the amount of, of, of fucking humiliation and, and yeah. control. I'm, yeah, I remember like this, the, this other girl was, uh, she was, you know, sexually active before going to the family school, which is like totally fine. You know, like a lot of people are sexually active at young ages and like, well, yeah, you're teen. I mean, just yeah. being human being at that age. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're says, doing it in a, a healthy manner or whatever, but yeah, you know, that was, that was what they, they slammed on her that she was like a sex addict and they, they called her a slut and they told her that if she ever left the family school that she it, like trigger warning, sorry, but like that she would be raped, maybe murdered. Um, and they made her dig her own grave and get in it. Did I, I told you about that, that, uh, I think that maybe 
that would be a good story. It's a terrible story, but I think a, a, a something that would really drive the point home of the stories. And then we can wrap it up and talk about the, how it closed a little bit. Uh, yeah, I pulled up the pull up the article right in front of me. Yeah. So they had her go outside with a shovel. They had her go outside with a, a shovel and dig a six by six foot grave and get it and get in it. And they told her that if she ever left the family school without completing the program, that that's where she would end up. That's fucking insane. And I know I've and, beaten that phrase to death here, but that is, I just can't think of another way to put that. You don't realize that that happened, especially in our time, you know, to people in our, uh, well, you were, you know, you weren't from where I was from, but it's close enough, you know, the same yeah. situation exists, the same socio-demographics, the same, like, uh, you know, middle class people, lower class people, like, fucking crazy. Uh, the, the, one of the things that that really served in my opinion as the catalyst to shut down the family school outside of the family foundation truth campaign. Um, is this okay to talk about suicide? Is that okay? Of course. Yeah. Anything is okay to talk about. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about suicide. Just saying, um, there was a kid there, um, who was 15 years old. His name was Tom Milkowski. And I think his name's important, and I always think his name's important. Um, he had three younger sisters, um, and he had a family. And he was sent to the family school for whatever reason his family deemed he was sent there. Um, and he struggled severely with mental health problems, depression, and whatnot. And he reached out to staff and to members of the family school and said that he wanted to kill himself. Um, they told him that he was just being attention seeking, which was a, a term that was thrown around very heavily at the family school, attention seeking, um, a way which to, is, uh, kind of dispel behavior or make it seem correct. To, to you're just acting, you're acting weight. out for some sort of validation and that's yeah, unhealthy yeah. and fall Invalidate back in line. their feelings. Um, anyway, he said, I'm going to kill myself. And they told him to just go to bed and that he was being attention seeking. And the next day he woke up and he plunged from the third story of our building um, and died and he, they tried to cover it up essentially and they really did and no one received any help or therapy um, and uh, I to insert myself here a little bit I, I witnessed it um, and I was the only one that was there um, outside I was on the sidewalk when it happened. Um, and that was something that I still have a lot of trauma from. And a lot of people have a lot of trauma from, um, witnessing someone kill themselves fucking sucks. And I feel really bad for him and his sisters and his whole family and everybody else there. But, uh, I think that that was one thing where they started, the family school started unraveling, um, because it did get into the media and, uh, you know, I witnessed a death and they didn't do one thing to therapize me or help me from that sort of post-traumatic stress, you know, situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't sleep for two months. Um, I didn't eat. Every time I closed my eyes, I could just see it happening. Um, for years, I reacted to loud noises, like hearing a loud noise, I would jump. And obviously, like, I mean, flash forward, I mean, I'm 33 now, I, I'd Maybe I could be around loud noises, but I still have nightmares about it all the time, like all this shit, and it was awful. And they told me, you know, the only help that they offered me was, uh, and offered any other student who may have wanted to reach out about it or didn't, um, they said that it, God put us there for a reason, and he killed himself for a reason. 
And they told me that I witnessed his death because God wanted me to see it. And there was a reason why God had me be there with him in his last moments. And that was all they offered me for this horribly traumatic experience. Um, so couple that with the Family Foundation Truth Campaign, who began to expose all these things, because yeah. our, our families didn't know what was happening there. Um, you know, when I, I, I finally had the privilege to talk to my parents, finally, I think it was like after two years or something, and it was a five-minute phone conversation once a week, and there was another staff member on the line, and that's how you could have a conversation with your parents. So if you said anything contrary to the beliefs, ideal system of the family school, they would, they would hang up the phone. So my parents had no idea that any of this stuff was going on. Um, and a lot of our folks didn't believe us when we came out and tried to, like, expose all this. Um, and I don't blame them because it's unbelievable. B, for them to like have to be accountable knowing that they drain their bank accounts to send us to a place thinking that their children were going to get rehabilitated um, and instead they were just abused horribly is a really, really hard pill to swallow. On top of it, the Family Foundation School cost $68,000 a year. So my parents spent all of their savings to put me through a place that in a way, and I, I don't mean to sound like this is hyperbole, but kind of ruined my life. Yeah. So well, the I guilt mean, that my parents probably to, have. To, to, to frame that. Sure. Like, I don't hate my parents for a lot of people. That's always like their first fucking question for some reason is like, oh, so you hate your parents for sending them away, sending you away. And I'm like, I don't. Maybe if they knew of the abuse that was happening when it happened, like, yeah, sure. But it's I forgive them for it and I know that it's probably traumatic for them in their own way like yeah, yeah they didn't I think have it's extremely uh, a big for, for the the simplest way to put it it's very big of you to immediately forgive them and not throw well, not immediately but now you forgive them now you process that now you you know you love them and 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 understand where they were coming from and frame it that way and I'm terribly sorry uh, you told me that story about uh, what was his name again the the kid that yeah uh, Tom Melkowski. Tom Melkowski. You told me that story before, uh, and I'm terribly sorry that you had to experience that and that the other kids there had to go through that, that his family had to experience that. And I think it's a, a very powerful thing that you you shared that story. And um, Thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah, I was 16 when that happened. Um, you know, and... Yeah, it sucks. Like, when I, I remember... I didn't read that article by myself. I remember when it came out, I had to read it with somebody else because I didn't know what feelings and emotions that it was going to elicit. Yeah. Um, and I knew that it was going to be intense. And I think it was really a really, really good article. Um, obviously, there's, you know, there's going to be a sensational aspect and there's going to be a lot of it's dramatic. Yeah. And, dramatic. And, 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 you know, you're a, a up close in front player in the story. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be, yeah, I didn't know what it was going to be, gonna be different than anything is going to be. And, you know, there's a lot of times we dichotomize things and make sides to things, but I mean, you know, this is an account of an event and, uh, or, or, or of an institution, many events over a long time. Yeah. Once I read that crazy. article, I'm sorry to cut you off, dude. No. Um, once I read that article, that's when I really realized like, dude, if I, I need to talk about this more, People need to know about this more. This shit still exists. Just because the family school doesn't exist doesn't mean that there aren't like countless programs um, and institutions that still do horrible shit. Yeah. Um, but reading that article was nuts. I had no, I had no idea. I mean, I know a lot of my my friends are are past, but 
I have no idea actually how many kids had chosen chosen to take their own lives. Um, yeah, it says here, just uh, reading right off their Wikipedia page, for closing, um, on July 31st, 2014, citing financial challenges from declining enrollment, the school announced it would be closing its doors after eight days of that day. Weird way to word it. Um, in addition to financial challenges, it has been suggested that lingering accusations of abuse by school staff members that plagued the school for years played a role in the school's declining enrollment and eventual closure. A front-page New York Times article in 2018 described a pattern of deaths by overdose, suicide, and other misadventure among school alumni and said that one alumna had tallied 101 deaths, the vast majority being before the age of 40. Jeez. Well, there so, you go. Let that soak in. That's so incredibly uh, 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 unfortunate, powerful, and, and you know, insane. I, c- I can't fucking believe that this happened so recently. And it only closed six years ago. Isn't that wild? And I forgot that the way that they chose to deal with it um, was they didn't tell the kids that they were closing. And I, I guess that makes sense. If they ch- uh, chose to tell the remaining students that they were closing, it probably would have been a fucking free for all or some sort of uprising. Yeah. Well, it um, says they made the announcement eight days before they were going to close, but that they remained open for 15 kids through the end of 2014. Yeah. That was probably dude. There were times where a lot of times where kids turn 18, in which case they weren't a minor anymore and they still chose to stay there. Like yeah, the amount you of brainwashing. Else to go, the only thing you knew was that your, your yeah. quote unquote real, your family, you know, even just using that, that terminology and the way that they structured themselves is creepy. You know, man, it's fucking weird as hell. Yeah. But You've I want to thank you so much like, for coming on. It's been an hour and a half. We fucking oh, crushed really? it. Yeah. Oh, geez. Thanks so much uh, for sharing this. I'm going to put the article in the show notes and anything else that you felt would be uh, important to add. I'm going to put in the show notes as well as some resources for anybody who has experienced this kind of trauma in their life or know someone that has and some places that they can reach out for help. I think that. Yeah. uh, Also, I mean, I would love to make my information readily available to anybody. If this, if any of this resonates with them, um, I I'm so happy to talk to anybody. Um, yeah, we'll figure out a way to put your contact information, which whatever information you're comfortable with, we'll put right on the show notes there as well. If someone wants to Wonderful. reach out. Wonderful. Um, oh, thank yeah. you for taking the time to talk to me about this stuff. I love you very much. Yeah, I love you so much, my friend. And uh, um, how about this? The next one that we do is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about the time where I learned to juggle. Yeah, we yeah we're gonna go over we're gonna make a list of the things and we'll just knock them line them up and knock them. We'll talk about the time that the cops came to your house and it was the first time we ever tried the. If we don't let them in, they'll have to leave. And, and it helped, worked. And it worked. We hit in the we hit in the <laughs> we crawl just turned space. all the lights off and just laid yeah. on the floor, and the cops just kept banging on the door for like twenty five minutes and eventually gave up and left. Oh my god, it does work. Yeah, no, totally. What are they gonna do? Kick the door down? If you're black. I mean, yeah, or now too. You know, maybe it's a little different these these times. This was uh, many years ago. This was yeah. many years ago. Wow. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for your time and energy. Um, yeah. Um, hell, I'm hell yeah. Excited. Man. Love I'm you, excited and I'll talk this. to you next time. All right. Take care, my friend. Bye bye. Man, that was a doozy. Uh, thank you so much, Corey, for doing that. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we've got some. Potentially very cool news, very big news coming up for the podcast that uh, is uh, potentially something going on in the works that I can't talk about now, but would be absolutely fantastic. I want to thank 
Chris Reese for the pre-intro and Queen Jesus for the intro and for Beth Ann Downey for producing this. I don't know what that noise was, but I'm just going to leave it in there. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. If you want to talk about the... Uh economic impact on small businesses uh, i could spend an hour if you'd like yeah if anybody so people like you who are a barber i own a barber shop and i'm a musician who gets paid from live shows clearly both of us are unable to work right now and we don't so necessarily on. fall into the category of uh someone that can apply for unemployment although the rules from the cares act has changed that a little bit small business owners are able to apply for unemployment under something called the pua but we were in line to get something called the PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Act, which uh, has not worked out thus far for either of us. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes, at least for us. Not, so. not, not true, Tom, eh? You got the PPP? At 10 p.m. last night, I got an email saying that I was approved for the PPP loan and I was approved by my lender and by the SBA and to sit tight uh, to wait for the next steps. Awesome. Yeah, I think that we might be in a similar situation. We had I applied on uh, April 12th, maybe like 18 days ago, and then they ran out of money. And basically what the application for is uh, eight, essentially is eight weeks of the, the average payroll costs, which is basically just what you pay yourself and your employees of 2019. So, yeah, we, we went through that application process, and the PPP ran out of money, and then Congress uh, emergency funded it again. And now we're just waiting to hear back and waiting for the SBA to, to, to send the money through. So hopefully that works for us. That'd be, but it's been a complete clusterfuck to try to figure out how to do that. Uh, uh, I'd like to say that I have a CPA, I have a lawyer, and I have a business manager. And the one person that was able to beautifully figure out how I should and could fill out the PPP loan application was Tom May. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, um, and that was only also, because yeah. I worked so closely. Shout out to Chris Ruggiero, our band's accountant, and our manager Tim Zahotsky. Uh There was kind of a network of musicians and, and small business owners emailing each other, trying to sort through all of that when it first came out. Because when they when they when they funded it, when they put it out, everybody was like, uh, "What do we do?" <laughs> yeah, it was really difficult. Like, because I had so many conversations with so many people who are way smarter than me with numbers and financials and it was just a nightmare because the <clears throat> the type of business that I own is you know immersed in the gig economy and like the PPP is you know pay tech prote uh, protection so like it's basically what's my paycheck as a business owner but I'm not an S corp I'm not like on payroll I basically like take disbursements and that shit like fluctuates because yeah. I own a salon, you know, and it's like I have people working for me, but they're not employees. They're independent contractors. So like it was so convoluted to get to like the nitty gritty to get actually what details do they need in order for me to not get denied. And I'd like to also say something about um, the pandemic unemployment assistance. Uh, I actually am in a like beta pilot program for it i forgot to tell you both of these things and i'm sorry because you've been like working so sure no, i know a lot of people who me. are listening have some of the same questions uh, okay good well that, then i think this is least. helpful uh and i have my gripes with this too so actually two weeks ago i think they unrolled the pua yesterday in oregon but two weeks ago i was asked to be in like this beta trial for it <clears throat> which they ostensibly just like send me the application without any information 
And I think it's to like see how how will somebody go about filling this out? You know, like how easy or not easy is this? And also like well, how are we beta, gonna- beta testing the unemployment process for gig workers? Which is fucked up. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, at least they're doing something. <laughs> yeah, but yesterday when they released it to the public, they released it with like a beautiful tutorial of how to fill out the application. And it took me two and a half hours to fill out this application. With I was surrounded by three people, the people I've been uh, sheltered in with. And I called uh, my partner's dad. So there was basically five of us trying to figure out this application because the verbiage was <laughs> off the ball. And then yesterday they released it with a tutorial of how to answer every question and I was so frustrated, and I realized that I answered three questions completely wrong. So now I'm scared that I'm going to be denied because of my answers. Yeah, it's it's messy. It's a giant, giant fucking clusterfuck. So back to the fact that you do this on it. That's a very uh, you know close proximity, person to person service, essentially. To you know frame it that way. So what do you see the future of that going forward? Uh, in regards to how you're going to manage it. We've seen photographs of th- people in Atlanta and how they've done it. People are out li- uh, outside of a barbershop in line to get their hair cut. You know, they're people doing the haircutting and personal protection equipment on. Um, you know, the, it's just kind of a bizarre and intense situation to be in. Um, geez, I wish I didn't smoke pot, man. You're going to give me a panic attack right now. <laughs> That's that's uh, just fine. Not to get a, kid, uh, a panic attack, but just fine that you feel, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm taking it a day at a time. Honestly, my full-time job has been trying to, like, just locate money, how to, like, not speaking in hyperbole, like, save my business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's this, like, sort of alliance going on right now between a handful of states um, coming up with a plan of, like, when and how businesses will be able to open. Um, And the the only state that's really released that information is uh, California, but... This like alliance, I think it includes like California, West Coast, Oregon, yeah. Washington. Pennsylvania yeah. has a rollout plan uh, that is tied to the federal government's guidelines. That um, you know, seems to be seems to be is similar, not dissimilar to California's or to a lot of the other states. So it is. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of hope coming forward in the future, and by the time this comes out, which is probably going to be tomorrow, not much <clears> will have <throat> changed. But it, we are seemingly on the precipice of returning to a little bit of a semblance of normalcy from this entire shelter well, okay. well in, in reference to my salon uh what california released yesterday is salons will be part of phase three of this rollout yeah and which they said is a few months from now so i have been out of work since march 11th and a few months from now could put us july or later yeah um the ppp loan is only to cover eight weeks of the money that i missed uh which as eight weeks has already come and gone um, still haven't been approved or denied, I guess, for this unemployment. Haven't received my stimulus, anything. So the reason I brought up that is if it's anything like what California is saying and the salons are part of phase free, three, um, that's not going to be for months from now. And I don't know what it's going to be like. If I imagine it's going to be part of what it was when we were open previously about having 10 or less people in there. But I imagine the guidelines will be pretty intense like we're probably gonna have to wear a mask and maybe even one of those like uh plastic masks if you will in front of it sure um probably gloves like a I, mortician I think a, like a mortician yeah. jesus 
Um, but I think a lot of uh, business businesses and, and different like careers and jobs or whatever are going to be different going forward. The restaurant industry industry is going to be completely different. Um, yeah, I think you could take people in your situation and my situation and multiply that by millions, and <laughs> you see what yeah. see what you have here. I mean. It's fucking crazy. I know that some of the biggest promoters in the country are currently not buying shows, which means that you can't book any shows that aren't booked already up until, you know, some of them are indefinite. Some of them are, there's rumors that the companies are just going to to, to not be around anymore after this. Um, Jeez. Yeah, it's it's pretty fucking crazy, and it's going to change. Are things are... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, sure. I, th- I think that things are going to change uh, permanently, and we don't know how it's going to go forward, but I think that we do have... Uh, 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 at least the people that, like you saying, you're talking to other salon owners, and we, we obviously are talking to lots of other musicians, and it, it is, uh, yeah, it's very uncertain, but there is uh, a network in place for us to kind of try to do something together to make it to make it happen, you know? Uh, it does funny yeah, that we both many... work in the thing that's like the end-all, be-all, you know? Like, my job is to bring hundreds, if not thousands, of people together <laughs> in a small space where we can sweat and cough on each other. But we'll see. Who knows? I mean, there could be a development of vaccine, and there may be... Uh, an approach similar to some of the like you know to like Sweden for example where they are sheltering and quarantining those that are very at risk and kind of letting everybody else um, get the uh, get immunity from being exposed and getting sick you know so who knows like what yeah, but these, these are Americans dude once yeah, you start being like okay people. well you people can go out and you people can't go out you're considered at risk which is also like by the way our decision not your decision <laughs> like there's gonna are you kidding me this is america there's no fucking way that's gonna happen um dude i like i i don't mean to sound so doom and gloom but i mean your part of the gig economy is going to be like the last phase of rollout because you're bringing such a large amount of people into smaller spaces and like yeah it's kind of the worst thing to be in besides anybody who's on you know has a clearly has a deal with all the people that are becoming infected uh or has to deal with any type of increases of crime or has been completely impoverished we uh i I have no fucking idea when and if we're gonna be able to go back to work in the same way but uh yeah you know we'll make it we'll make something work yeah i mean at least for me like have really small shows with really rich people wow right like bob dylan did all years ago the Fugazi like five dollar show thing at just like tiny little tiny at anarchist bookstores. Yeah, everyone's at anarchist bookstores, but the tickets are four or five hundred dollars each. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, maybe we'll turn to sponsorship. We can get fucking Casper to put an ad over one of my one of my amps. Dude, I really do like uh, just to spin it a little bit positively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a lot of different career paths and uh, creative endeavors the the amount that people are offering free content um or education things like that like i'm noticing in my industry uh online education things in my industry education is extremely expensive from the get-go i mean i took a three three-day course that cost three thousand dollars uh just to learn you know a couple fucking haircuts but uh, a lot of online courses could be like eight hundred dollars just to have access to an archive of like haircutting tutorials. Yeah, um, and, and it's on top all of free that, right don't now. you? A lot of places I know, Oregon has it, and a lot of other states and localities will have like a kind of a, a more than necessary rigorous certification process to oh, be able to cut hair. God. They always bring yeah, up the point, a, like you know, you got girls in North Philly trying to start a hair, like a hair braiding business or something, and they might they can't because they need to get 
you know, you need to drop a lot of money to be able to get a certification to do so. I could be completely fucking wrong uh, about the Philadelphia. No, you're, you're very say. right. They actually they actually take it very seriously out here. Yeah. So, and I guess it makes sense for sanitation wise, but it also is like really like you can't. How are you supposed to get your shit started if you if you need fucking five grand to be able to take a class? Well, they they take it very seriously out here because they basically like refer to. Um, skin diseases and disorders and cleanliness, disinfecting, stuff like that. Um, so like in school, like we're forced to go to school and we're supposed to learn about infectious diseases. Um, cause basically, I mean, the tools that we're using, like it's very easy to spread illness. Sure. Um, and, and that's why I think like going forward, even like my industry is going to be so different. Uh, but Oregon is a state that takes things like that very seriously. Like for tattooing, for instance, like you have to go to tattooing school here. You cannot be an apprentice and then work. Same with uh, barbering. Like there's a lot of states. It might be this way in PA. I know it is in New Jersey, California. Um, instead of going to beauty school, you can apprentice, learn in the field, um, and then get a license. But here, like you have to put the hours in. You have to go through a rigorous course. I mean, I have a bachelor's degree. I swear to God, beauty school is harder. Um, and I went after college. Uh, and it's like also $18,000 to go to barber insane. school. It's like, yeah, yeah it's insane. I mean, I'm not trying to take away from the level of skill and preparation and practice that goes into barbering and, uh, uh, cosmetology or whatever. But I mean, 18 grand seems, seems a little excess inaccessible for a lot of people, which fucking sucks. I, mean, I was just paying my teachers off and shit. I like, I hate school. I was literally, I would like, I would go, to, <laughs> I would go to Starbucks and I would like basically, you know how I am. I get like flirt with my teachers, get real friendly with them. And then I'd find out what they like to drink coffee wise. And then before I came in, I'd go pick up, you know, like a latte and like a frappuccino and shit. And I bring it and then they just be like signing off my hours, signing yep, off my go. hours. I got out of beauty school in four months instead of a year. Incredible. I also was part of which one did you give me? You gave me a facial, right? That was what uh, you needed as part of your test. So I came in while we were on Can tour. Can you please um, put that into context? Thank yes, you. Corey gave me a facial. That'll be like the, uh, the, the <laughs> Instagram poll quote part of it. Member <laughs> yeah, you, of Menzingers like, receives facial rece- <laughs> from. <laughs> oh man, it's like we're back when we when we met like twenty years ago when we had that. That was our sense of humor. Um, God damn. A facial, by the way, is a very relaxing service in which there are manipulations um, to the face uh, involving, you know, creams and toners and uh, like massaging and stuff. Um, That's what a facial is in my industry. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I felt very exfoliated uh, and really nice after really fresh afterwards. It's nice. The fuck do you know about exfoliation? I know that I have to do it because I get a rash on my beard. So I use like little uh, apricot scrubs. You know, those little bubbles that might be, like, killing fish or whatever? I don't care. Well, like, St. Ives apricot scrub? Yeah, but I like the one with the coconuts in it, too. But, Shit's uh, garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough. No, you I actually use I get a Brillo different pack. one from a homemade place in Queen, in, uh, uh, down in the neighborhood in Philly, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Go, go in your kitchen, grab a Brillo pad and some olive oil, and go to town on your fucking face. That's what I should do. That really is what I should do. But um, yeah, so the that is completely changing. Uh, but it, to bring up to loop back to your point about education right now, there is tons of really cool free education that's going on online right now. You can go to Coursera.org, um, which is one that I've talked about in the podcast before. That's where I got my um, five class certificate program of photography for, uh, through Michigan State, a partnership with Michigan State University and Coursera. And right now I'm doing one that is a partnership with Berkeley School of Music, and it is a uh, music production certificate program. There's four classes. One's about the 
kind of the fundamentals of music production, like recording at home kind of situation. And, and you know, I'd been doing this for a really long time, so I knew a lot of that, but it's really filling in a lot of information gaps that I didn't even realize existed. Another class is on Ableton Live, which, Jesus Christ, I wish I started learning Ableton Live like 10 years ago and used it in songwriting. It's so fucking cool. And then there's Wait, one Wait, what's on. the difference between Ableton and Ableton Live? Uh, Ableton Live is is, is Ableton. Um, that's the name of their DAW. Um yeah, it's a non-linear DAW. So basically, when you're working in Pro Tools and in you know uh, uh, Logic and GarageBand and all that shit, you're kind of building the song from the left to the right. There's a timeline that exists. You're and watching you know, it each happen. Tracks right now, going. Yeah, we're both watching happen right now. And Ableton is a non-linear DAW, so you build the parts. You might like build a verse. Or you might build like a loop or some shit that you want to put into it, and then you arrange it kind of like how you did in Fruity Loops. It's like a Super, super fucking cool. Super easy to to write with. Uh, I fucking love it, man. But yeah, and so many of these um, companies are offering. Like I know Adobe is doing uh, their Creative Suite free for a month, I believe. And uh, Adobe Live is doing their yeah. There's like a workaround to get it. Wait, let me ask you a question too. Sure. When you said you got that photography certification, Mm -hmm. what what does that entail? And I didn't know that photographers get certifications. Yeah, so it's kind of uh, I don't want to say arbitrary the certification part of it, but it's it's you know it is an institution that gives you a certificate. It's not accredited in the same way that a university would be accredited, but it is like something that if you wanted to, you can add to your professional portfolio. Like, uh, or to me, I'm going to print it out and put it on the wall. I can't fucking wait. But, accolades, uh, accolades, yeah, your accolades. It's Got like it. winning when you kill when you get twenty headshots in a video game and you get like the dead alien skull. This is the equivalent <laughs> of that. From back when I used to play Halo, but yeah, the, so the the photography one was, um, you know, it taught the kind of fundamentals of photography from an artistic standpoint and a, in a like a mechanical standpoint, and yeah, it was it was incredible. I can't shout out those professors enough. That program changed my life, changed the way that I look at the world, changed the vocabulary I use when I describe things, uh, changed the way that I write music. It's uh, super fucking cool. You're gonna have to send me that, dude, because I've been real into my camera lately. It's super. Yeah, fun. I'm gonna put that shit up on the on the show notes of this webpage. So you we like try, some of my pictures? That I, I do. I love some of your pictures. Most of them. Thank all you. of them. I like that. So yeah, we we originally got the idea to talk on this podcast to talk about your experiences. Uh, well, first of all, Lee Corey Oswald is the, the one of the big connections that a lot of uh, uh, the fans of the podcast and my band will will know you from. Uh, but you and I have been friends for a very long time. And I think that sometimes it's kind of difficult to, to borrow from another podcast I was listening to. It's hard for when two friends are doing it to uh, not just sound like two friends conversing, which is fun because, you know, we're fun, hilarious, uh, interesting people. But I just want to wrap it into like the <laughs> frame, the frame, the whole thing with your experience at something called the family school, which a lot yeah. of people probably have not heard of as a uh, juvenile um, detention not necessarily a detention center in the conventional sense, but more of like a behavioral uh, 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 camp with a religious okay. funding to it. And yeah, uh, I thought that. we could talk. Yeah, and, and it, it came into – there was an article about it in the New York Times. I think it was two years ago. Um, and a network of people came together using Facebook to try to find alumni of the school. And that was when you know you, you kind of started to make another connection back to it. And I thought we could talk about that a little bit. Sure. I'd like to say that when, uh, <clears throat> we previously recorded a version of this podcast uh, just to talk about life in general, and we ended up landing on the family school for so yeah. long that we realized we should like re-record this and kind of focus on this because it's uh, really intense and there's a lot of information that potentially could be helpful 
to people, um, even if it's just bringing awareness. Um, but even down to like, you know, talking about trauma and mental health and how things like this could shape the individual that we are today and uh, kind of shedding light on that. And exactly. I, really, I wanted to show the hopefulness of how you've taken that experience, worked through your life and now, you know, have started a uh, a business where you help other people work and you cut people's hair and help them feel good about themselves and kind of like create a network within itself. Even though Boy, do I the, miss that. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the virus has other plans. <laughs> but the virus has other plans. Did you see that Donald Trump said that uh, he's thinking that China created coronavirus as a conspiracy for him to lose the election? Interesting. I'm, that doesn't, you know, I, I just, I haven't been watching the things he's been saying for, for quite a time now. <laughs> Good. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there hey there i am johnny christ from avenge sevenfold and i've got a podcast called drinks with johnny you're gonna want to check out i sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life from professional wrestlers to actors comedians fighters musicians Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.